All right, welcome everybody to Chat with the Designers. This is your live, online, interactive weekly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains of the world, of the universe. Um, this is uh, your host, George N2APB, along with co-host Joe N2CX, per usual. And we are really glad to be here again. We missed a cycle. We missed a session last uh, in the last uh, uh, cycle of programs due to travel and illness and you name it, things conspire. But we are back, and we are back with a vengeance. We are, we have some great material here. We, we're going to have some fun tonight. Um, it's a two-part program, so we're going to move this along really, really quickly and uh, get into things because the first part of the program is talking about AM mode, the principles, practices, and embedded impl implementations. So we're going to give a bit of a background on AM mode and and just just highlights and skimming the surface, but if you really haven't considered this mode of operation before or even used it, uh, this might be a little bit educational for you and kind of uh, give you some background as far as uh, how we got to where we are today from a modulation, from a mode standpoint. And uh, it, it's always interesting to, to kind of go back and know where you've been, which kind of helps you figure out where you're going. The second part of the program is going to be dealing with the RTs, uh, um, with the Precision Arduino Clock. It's our Chat with the Designers group project. And um, this time, this is like maybe the third installment of uh, the clock uh, discussions. And this time, we're going to really get down to uh, brass tacks, as they say, and um, turn our clock into something that's really going to be a functional thing for us. Up until now, it's been somewhat instructional somewhat educational, pretty much on the simplistic side. Uh, but now we're going to start engaging with uh, the real McCoy. And uh, you, you'll see some pretty cool functionality, Joe's favorite word, um, come about. And uh, it's going to be something that uh, you're going to be proud and to hang on your wall in front of your station <clears throat> to connect up to the Internet and or your radio in order to provide the um, ultimate precision that we're after in the shack for use on digital modes and and other capabilities. So let's get right into it. Um, hopefully, if you're just joining us, hopefully your uh, your whiteboard is working. Joe, if you could, uh, Joe, if you could uh, put the uh, the address of our whiteboard. Uh, Lee is on here and he's looking for it. And uh, just as a reminder for everybody, if you don't have the whiteboard up, it is going to be essential as usual. So if you're even if you're listening on a podcast, looking at the whiteboard, either uh, before, during, or after listening to the podcast, um, will be pretty helpful and it'll tie some things together. We have some really good material. We're into part one now, which is amplitude, amplitude modulation (AM), and uh, this is kind of a fun part for us. Um, your hosts here, Joe and myself, we, we're kind of like diametric opposites with respect to our our preferences of radio hardware, let's say. Um, and I think we've talked about this, mentioned it before. This comes primarily from the standpoint of uh, when we engaged in the um, in the ham radio hobby. Joe was a tad earlier than I was, uh, at least from the homebrewing aspect. And he had much more exposure to tubes and uh, in the earlier days than I did. Later on, um, actually in later year, later years here, I had uh, kind of uh, uh, discovered the tubes. I grew up on transistors, but recently, well, within the last five to ten years, came back to uh, tubes and found it to be an entirely new 
thing, quote-unquote, new for me because uh, I had not uh, dealt with the design and, and homebrewing of, of tube-based gear. So it was kind of a throwback to the old days. And Joe just remembers the shocks and the parasitics and the heaviness and the high voltages. And uh, he enjoys the, the transistor era. Now, the reason we mention this is that because AM mode was one of the first um, modulation modes uh, for voice, and uh, actually one of the very first modes, uh, CW with a spark gap, was modulation mode, um, uh, A amplitude modulation. And um, so being the first, you know, voice communications back in the, uh, the, the 40s, 50s, and <clears throat> into the 60s, before sideband came along, AM was there. And back in those days, of course, boat anchors were were all that there were. Tubes, tube designs were prom, uh, predominant. And that's why, at least this thread of my discussion, is tying together the tube radios and the boat anchors with amplitude modulation. And that's the example you'll see in the photos, is you'll see the first couple, three uh, photographs. Uh, we pulled some images, uh, earlier images of uh, uh, radios, um, tubes, and the glow tubes, and so on, just to give you a little bit of a feel for that. And uh, actually, <clears throat> actually, the first the first image, uh, the one that says, excellent YouTube video on AM ham radio, when you get a chance, not now, please, because heaven forbid it might even transmit over the TeamSpeak. But uh, when you click on that, you'll get a wonderful overview of old radios and stations and ham radio stations and so on to the tunes of um, heavy rock of the 1970s. From uh, If you've at all listened to some of the podcasts, you'll understand where some of my musical interests are. It's in the, uh, the rock of the 70s. And... Uh, um, that's a nice background music, and I, I, I was particularly in, enthralled by that particular video. So I think you will, too. And it gives a good cross-section of the kinds of radios that are in people's stations. Um, the next uh, image there is, uh, is, one of, is an arrow transmitter. Um, you'll see the, I think it's 19, well, this says 1929. And that gives the uh, kind of the earliness, the, the early days of AM uh, types of operation. And uh, the the state of the tubes, the state of the tube designs that there were back then, and uh, and then there was the spark gap. Of course, many of us have heard of the spark gap, and there are simpler versions of the spark gap uh, hardware, the transmitter, um, and and certainly um, listening is requires a little bit uh, less complexity. But uh, this is the kind of of uh, uh, the transmitter and the receiver pair that you would uh, you would have seen back in those days. Joe, do you want to give us uh, your impressions, maybe, of, of some of this early hardware that we're looking at, as well as some of your earlier uh, experiences with uh, boat anchors and AM in general? I'm, we haven't really talked too much about our specific backgrounds in AM, but uh, I'd be curious to hear what you have. Sure. Thank you, George. Yeah, good intro. Yeah, um, I, I was first licensed in 62, 1962, not 1862. And um, I was interested in, gee, from the late 50s on. Um, and AM was uh, was still king then. Sideband was coming along, but AM was king. And some of my earliest memories are um, listening to my uncle's SW38. Um, the guy's on 75 meters and 40 meters. Um, it was really, really kind of neat. There were some some characters back then. The one I remember in particular was uh, W3EBM. He never never called himself W3EBM. He always said 3EBM or three empty beer mugs. And that was how he called CQ. And if someone came back to him that 
that didn't meet his criteria, he would say, no lids, no kids, no space cadets, 3 a.m. And he got any number of uh, FCC citations for that. Don't know if he was ever uh, ever fined or anything. But point was, um, there were a lot of guys on 75 and 40 uh, a.m. It was really neat to listen to them. Some of them had tweaked the audio, uh, as many of them did with AM, to emphasize the lows, which you could do back then, uh, bigger transformers and, and such for the audio, and, and the highs. So they had some, some really impressive sounding uh, uh, transmissions. And some of them even went to the point of uh, adding, uh, eventually, some um, reverb, so that uh, they, they really had signals that stood out. Very, very impressive to listen to. And some of the guys still do that today. Um, Good things. I I did dabble with uh, with AM. I had a, uh, a DX40, I guess it was, which had a, a screen grid modulation, but uh, it it was never all that uh, powerful. Um, so I'd make local contacts and the rest of that. And it was kind of neat, um, a lot of fun, but uh, couldn't work as much DX as I wanted to. There was some really impressive gear. I looking at the uh, pictures here on the white page, the uh, the F Johnson uh, Ranger. I eventually had a um, Viking Valiant, which was only 180 watts uh, AM, but uh, that was a good rig. And uh, the Collins R390 receiver, never had one of them, oh, but um, really good stuff, really fun. And um, didn't work a lot of DX doing that, but it was always nice to be able to chat with the locals. And, um, you know, back in the AM days, it was enough fidelity that the uh, the signals actually back. sounded like the guys when you um, got to them in in, um, in real life. Indeed. And I think that's one of the main things that claims to fame. And I wanted to mention just that uh, um, um, indeed, oh, shucks, I lost the train of thought there. We have several conversations going on in parallel. Um, but in, indeed, uh, the reason for the presentation of AMO today, besides another aspect of the technology that we wanted to at least cover in semi-technical detail, is that... Um, AM is is still around. I don't know if you've ever encountered it, um, other than listening to AM shortwave uh, uh, broadcast stations. I do that all the time. Um, here in the shack, I like it for good background when I'm uh, when I'm working in the bench and I'm not listening to 70s rock, um, uh, meatloaf and 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 such. But uh, ultimately, there are some AM enthusiasts who hang out at some frequencies that are located that are indicated at the bottom of our uh, of our whiteboard, uh, popular AM hangouts, and the reason among the reasons that they enjoy doing what they do is because the audio fidelity is just amazing. They have some amazing uh, um, microphones and audio processing, and it does not sound at all as limited and and bandwidth limited, and certainly none of the uh, uh, the duck-like sound that one gets on a slightly ill-adjusted uh, sideband signal. So um, it's the broadcast quality that is just enjoyable. I, I, I enjoy sitting back and listening an awful lot to these stations as they go on every night. And um, there are nets around, and it's just fun. My part my part of enjoyment of, uh, of amateur radio is, is restoring old equipment and, and building old equipment. And um, when you can get it, Restored and, and built and, and or restored and then actually use it. That's that's probably the most that, that that's the quintessential enjoyment for me. And a lot of these older rigs are, are AM only. I mean, they're sometimes you know it depends how far back you go, but there is no 
there's no sideband. Let's go down to the uh, AM rigs of today section. It's just the next thing in line there. You see the Johnson Viking um, Invader that Joe mentioned, and next to it is the Collins R390 receiver. Not the 390A, but the 390. Those two are my mainstays in my station, at least one of my uh, one of my uh, stations here in the shack. Uh, my boat anchor station is these two guys, and I use them fairly regularly. Um, in fact, if you if you go up to the top of the page, you know our banner for the chat with the designers' uh, uh, whiteboards. Um, pictured there up at the top, um, both on the left side and the right side, are are both of those rigs. Those the shots that we did for our banner were taken here in my in my station as we created that uh, particular graphic. Um, they're not small. I tried to put it in perspective to the Yesu FT nine thousand D that's below it, size perspective. Um, and you'll, you'll see, I mean, it's really, they're, they're quite heavy. And below that is a homebrew because, um, a homebrew version of a, an AM transmitter. And, uh, again, it's not pretty. Um, but if you can get something working, even the ugliest project, I mean, they can be really ugly. Uh, it, it can be the best time you ever had. And, um, and it goes for a lot of things in life, whether it's, it's cars or, uh, well, cars or, or radios. And uh, it, it's it's really good time. So enough with the nostalgia of the older radios. Um, let's get into some of the technology. This is this is kind of where it, where it really comes in. And uh, Joe, do you want to take us uh, start us going down through the waveforms as far as you know what is you know the the basis the basis of our um, modulation is that we mix right. We have an RF carrier and we have some modulation and they mix together to form probably a waveform that you. That, that looks pretty similar in time. If you were to put a scope on your RF um, um, RF uh, signal, properly attenuated into your scope, you would see that um, the waveform on the bottom of that first graphic, which is uh, the modulated sine sine wave. And um, I think I used the example: if if the carrier is at 3,900 kilohertz, 3.9 meg, you know, in the 80 meter band, 75 meter band. And you have a one kilohertz tone, like if you're whistling at one kilohertz into your microphone. Um, the one kilohertz tone is um, would be modulating the carrier, and that's what you would see in, in the scope. And uh, there's a couple of ways to do that, you know, with modulators. Joe, you want to take over here the uh, the plate modulation, the transistor modulation, and then let's, I think, go into the uh, the time domain representation of what signals are really present in an AM transmission, because there's where the rubber really meets the road and some of the problems with the inefficiency of AM back in the days. Alrighty, certainly. Yeah. Well, the very original way of generating AM um, back in the 20s was uh, sticking a carbon mic in series with the, uh, the feed to the antenna. So it modulated the, um, it was a big resistor, variable resistor in series with the, uh, with the RF going to the antenna. You can imagine you didn't want to get your lips too close to that microphone. But uh, following that uh, chain, when uh, the traditional way of generating AM was to um, feed audio in series with the uh, plate uh, supply of a final amplifier so that uh, the RF was modulated by, uh, by varying the, uh, the feed to the, uh, to the transmitting tube very original way and, I, and the first schematic we have here is actually I think it's a 6360 which is a kind of a mixer tube another way of uh, producing uh, AM by feeding audio to uh, 
some extra um, grids that, that modulate the the RF. Um, a simple way with transistors is just to feed the um, feed the audio and RF to the base of a transistor. Um, it's hard to get um, linear modulation and hard to get um, full modulation that way. But it's a very easy way if you're building a uh, a modulated oscillator for um, uh, just sending an AM signal around your house, something like that. Some of the simple little um, CB handy talkies, walkie talkies use this method. And of course, the more modern method uh, um, of generating voice is a single sideband suppressed carrier, which we'll talk about a little bit uh, later, uh, using either the filter or the phasing method, where something is actually done to the signal to uh, retain the sidebands, the audio sidebands, without the carrier. We'll see pictures of that in the frequency domain. And um, there is also um, a mode that's used today that's a full carrier single sideband, which is uh, also called compatible um, sideband, compatible single sideband, where you have um, the full carrier, but you only put the, uh, the sideband, the audio sideband, on one side or the other of, uh, of the carrier. That's used, by the way, by uh, CHU these days uh, on their uh, time signals. Okay, in the time domain, you can see some pictures here of uh, uh, RF, which is, um, uh, there's, there are four, four things shown in the picture here. There's a carrier, which is a uh, RF signal, which is a high, um, high amplitude, and two sidebands, which are approximately the same frequency in this scale, uh, a little either side. But then they mix together, and they form a modulated uh, waveform modulated envelope, which is the actual composite AM signal. And uh, the single sideband signals look similar in the time domain. If you look in the frequency domain, uh, you can see that um, there are three spikes on an AM signal. The center spike there is the carrier. That's at the center frequency that you're transmitting. And then the modulated AM sidebands are either side of that carrier um, at an audio a frequency offset equivalent to the uh, the uh, frequency of the audio, and if you looked at uh, single sideband, only one of those sidebands would be there. The carrier would be gone, and the other sideband would be gone. If you looked at the uh, single sideband with full carrier, the carrier would be there, and then only one of the two sidebands. Um, the advantage of using uh, the single sideband with full carrier is that it can still be demodulated easily with a a diode detector uh, and produce a good quality AM uh, while taking up less uh, spectrum, less bandwidth. Um, there are some, some other advantages to that, but uh, having to do with um, minimization of uh, distortion due to, to, to uh, uh, fading, selective fading. So, it, uh, and single sideband, of course, has the same advantage of uh, taking less spectrum. But because um, all of the energy is uh, concentrated in one uh, one carrier, and there's less selective fading than AM. But uh, the difficulty with it is that um, unless you have your receiver tuned exactly on to the carrier frequency to reinsert the carrier, you get a Donald Duck sound. It sounds very unnatural. But uh, AM does not have that. And uh, as I mentioned, the uh, full carrier sideband, single sideband, is more spectrally efficient. Still wastes some power in the carrier. But it still has the good characteristics of AM. Uh, you can put uh, put some good audio in there and um, reproduce it with a simple diode detector so that it uh, it sounds good. It really sounds good. Hey, Joe. Um, yes, George. I was going to turn it over to you. What do you want? 
Oh, um, in my kind of reading up on, on things along the way, I've heard of a term called pilot carrier. And I believe that's a substantially reduced carrier signal, uh, such that if we're looking at the frequency domain, the, the amplitude of that carrier, that center carrier spike would be way down a fraction, a small fraction of the normal carrier power. I guess that the, the pilot carrier is um, enough in, for a receiver to, for an AM receiver to indeed um, do the AM detection process and serve, you know, as, as uh, um, uh, serve for demodulation, um, but not as much of the power, of course, is going into the transmitted signal. Is that correct? I think actually what they do is that uh, there's a phase lock loop in the uh, in the receiver that looks for the presence of the reduced amplitude carrier, locks onto it. And in demodulating it, reinserts the full power carrier at the receiver. So as you point out, you don't waste all that power transmitting the carrier. But um, with a sufficiently uh, good receiver, you can uh, reinsert the carrier at your uh, receiver and still have the full uh, full <laughs> uh, full advantage of uh, of AM there. Okay. Um, along this line, and we'll we'll do this kind of to keep us moving along too. Power is um, a great of great interest in uh, when considering AM mode. In other words, all of the power that you need in order to use it, the power that goes into the carrier, but it's essentially wasted. Let Let's talk for a minute. Let's banter around the the topic of power in general layman's terms, if you will. If you have got, I think I wrote this down someplace. It's it's down the page a little bit more. <clears throat> but if you've got a thousand watts, uh, if you're running a, a kilowatt, um, an AM uh, in AM mode, that's a thousand watts are going into your carrier, and if you're not saying it, if there's no modulation, if you're not, uh, if you don't have any audio going in there, that's that's all that's uh, um, being put up into the antenna. Um, if you modulate that carrier at 100%, you have a 100% uh, uh, modulation index, uh, such that in other words, you're getting the most power. You're 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 modulating it to the greatest extent possible without distorting um, uh, the signal. Um, you're only putting a, quor um, a quarter of, of the carrier power into each of the sidebands, each of those two side spikes, the modulated AM sidebands. So if you've got 1,000 watts in a carrier and you're fully modulating things, you've got 250 watts going into each sideband. And and um, can you kind of talk about the, the kind of power that we're talking about there and, and um, how inefficient that is, actually? Yeah, that is that is certainly one of the downsides of AM having to lug the carrier along. Um, the real reason for the fact that the sidebands are uh, uh, so much lower in power is that um, um, you're restricted with a, a given amplifier and the amount of distortion that it'll produce. So if you crank it up all the way with uh, with a carrier and you try to stick sidebands on there, you're going to be exceeding the uh, transmitter power that uh, the amplifier can put out uh, linearly, it'll distort. So what it has, the um, setting has to be such that the uh, total um, peak envelope power, the power, the average power of a sine wave at the peak of the modulating envelope. If you look back at that uh, modulated uh, waveform back a little ways uh, ago, um, where we have uh, uh, a modulated, RF, fully modulated RF carrier. The peak power of the of the sine waves at the peak of that um, are what determine how much distortion you have. That's the peak envelope power. 
but if you adjust it so that um, you have peak envelope power that will give you minimum distortion, um, the since you have a carrier in there, there's not that much uh, power left for the sidebands. So the sidebands are suppressed uh, quite a bit. One of the disadvantages of uh, of doing that, of uh, of having the carrier in there, whereas with single sideband, you still have the same PEP, peak envelope power restriction. But since you're not wasting uh, energy on the carrier, uh, having to take that along, um, much more of the power, several times the power is is uh, concentrated in the signal you want. So uh, it, it's due to the uh, unfortunate uh, limitations of uh, power amplifiers that uh, you have to go to those uh, those beans. Um, you can't get um, if you have a CW transmitter, you know, a thousand watts full out, uh, you can't um, have average power for the whole signal of a thousand watts with a uh, modulated envelope because you'd be you'd be transmitting a lot of distortion along with the signal and uh, it wouldn't be very usable and it would splatter all over the uh, all over the uh, the band and uh, make enemies of you. Back to you, George. Yeah, many times, uh, I think with most of it, many many of us, um, we operate in CW mode, and power is a much more straightforward thing in that particular mode. So PEP power, and certainly for AM, um, um, the, the the lower amount of power ultimately that you're able to get out of a a, uh, a kilowatt amplifier when running AM mode is a lot different than you would expect it to be. And it's it's a bit confusing, and uh, um, it, it takes some use, getting used to and actually using the mode, I think, to, to get a better feel for it. Let's open it up for questions at this point here before we get on to the uh, AM mode being done in an SDR type of uh, scenario uh, with the SDR cube. So does anybody have any questions about uh, AM rigs, the old boat anchors you might have, and maybe the power settings that you thought that you had working, uh, or what's been your experience? Anybody go ahead. Oh, come on, Pete, you probably have some good experience here. You you commented on my uh, my Invader 2000. Um, you know, have you ever operated AM um, mode in the past? I was on AM mode for almost two hours uh, yesterday on 40 meters and had a nice time with my Drake uh, T4XB, uh, which has been somewhat modified for to sound to sound decent on on AM. I've had lots of AM radios uh, over the over the years. I don't have any any particular questions here. It works fine. Uh, there's a lot of uh, activity on the various uh, bands and the, the the channel areas that are dedicated to AM. The uh, main problem that I have with AM is the social aspect, not the technical aspect in that the fact that it's essentially channelized means that you have these large round tables. That's fine if you're able to get on the air every day or two and everybody knows you uh, and you like large round tables, but otherwise uh, being part of a large round table of which you can hear only half the stations is sometimes less than uh, satisfying where people make transmissions and it comes around to you every 20, 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> That sort of thing doesn't appeal to me all that much. Oh, I know what you mean. Uh, it does get, get uh, clicky there, but it's that way with any kind of a of a net that has regular users, regular checkers in, and sometimes the language is rather rather interesting and colorful. Um, we had a question that came in on on the uh, on the text uh, saying that uh, 
wondering if double sideband, Joe, maybe you could comment on this or anybody else, please speak up. Double sideband is, uh, uh, wonder if double sideband sounds the same as uh, normal AM mode. Um, or is it more like sideband and trickier to adjust and get the, uh, the duck-like uh, uh, results, Joe? Yeah, double sideband, what's commonly called double sideband is double sideband suppressed carrier. So it gets rid of the carrier, but the difficulty is in trying to reinsert the carrier when you're receiving it in your receiver, you have to be exactly on the carrier frequency. Um, think of it this way. If, um, uh, if your audio is 1,000 hertz uh, and you have the carrier exactly on, it will give you 1,000 hertz out. But if you're off 20 hertz in tuning, um, you one sideband will show up as 1,020 hertz. The other show up as 980 hertz. So you'll have two signals in there, and uh, you'll have a beat note from that. And if it's voice, it will sound very, very distorted. So you've got to be exactly right in tuning um, if you use a double sideband receiver. If you use a single side receiver, you only hear one sideband. So it's no more difficult to tune in than uh, on any single sideband signal. Question? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Uh, with the various types of modulation that do not have a carrier, only have a pilot carrier, is there anything about the anything to think about when you are uh, reinserting the carrier? <clears throat> do you have to maintain a phase relationship with the uh, sidebands as well as just the amplitude? Well, usually what happens is that um, there is circuitry in the receiver that locks onto the carrier, um, the vestigial carrier, the, the small carrier that's sitting there. So it locks on so that it would be uh, locked on in frequency and phase so that uh, there's no problem. I have never tried, frankly, manually tuning a, um, a reduced carrier signal with an ordinary receiver. So uh, I couldn't say practically what it would do. Well, the estimator doesn't read full scale, for one thing. Okay. <laughs> Not surprised at that. Well, I am, because I would have thought that the estimator would have been derived from the audio circuits, but then again, that all comes back to the the uh, the reinserted carrier or the adjusted carrier or, or the BFO or whatever. Okay. Um, yeah, Ray, go ahead. Yeah, hi, George, and good evening to the net. Uh, uh, one thing to bring up about uh, some of the old uh, special uh, boat anchor type transmitters, not all of them had high level uh, uh, complete uh, uh, audio chains uh, that would uh, plate modulate, which was the case in the boat anchors, um, <clears throat> with a uh, proper audio chain. Uh, some of them used other techniques, uh, screen grid modulation and uh, uh, sometimes called choke modulation, and both of those uh, generally would never be able to reach 100% modulation because they could never completely cut off the uh, RF carriers, so the waveform would never be completely modulated. It's important because a lot of those early rigs, and I had a bunch of them back in the day, uh, <clears throat> uh, I started my career uh, back in the middle 50s, so uh, uh, rigs back then uh, were made for a price and very often one of the quick ways to save a lot of money in the design and manufacture of a rig was to use some form of screen modulation or choke modulation, uh, which worked fine, but you never got 100%. Uh, because uh, you couldn't, that's all uh, that was available, it was about 85% generally. 
Yeah, and uh, besides that, there was also grid modulation and cathode modulation, which had some of the same issues. Uh, very, All of those things tend to be tough to adjust if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, also, George, I would suggest that after you do deal with the SDR issue, the uh, next thing to mention is the issue of using a linear amplifier on AM. Uh, in the early literature, this was derided heavily as being inefficient, blah, 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 but it works perfectly and works well, and a lot of people like me uh, use it for some very obvious reasons, I would think. Well, you mentioned it, Pete. Why don't we just continue on with that particular thought, because it is of interest to me, and, and I would not have thought, I did not know about the uh, um, about the, the questioning of linear amplification. Um, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. Why? What was the issue, and, and why did they say it wouldn't work, and you know, you've you've got uh, good results with it. Well, in the in the original uh, discussion of it decades ago, uh, linear amplifiers were something you're not supposed to use on AM because they're supposedly low efficiency. And since I read about this 30, 40 years ago, I don't I don't remember chapter and verse. Maybe Joe does because he's more technical than I am. I'm sure. Uh, and, and actually knows the math, I would think. But um, if you look at the math, you get a uh, very low efficiency from a linear amplifier if you run sine wave audio through your AM transmitter. And you therefore wind up heating up the linear amplifier a whole lot. Also, given the FCC limits of the past years, where your limit was on plate input, if you had an inefficient amplifier, you would have very little output, comparatively speaking. Now, we can have incredibly inefficient amplifiers, and we can have that uh, 375 watts of uh, carrier and get to 1,500 watts PEP, uh, which I guess gets us away from the QRP aspect of this whole thing. I'm sorry I mentioned it. <laughs> but the reality is, for a lot of AM operations on 160 and so on, uh, nobody will hear you if you are weak, and the, the, it's, it's, it's generally not, not practical unless you have giant antennas and so forth on the lower bands. So uh, the point is that we don't now don't have to worry about the efficiency of the amplifiers as far as the FCC is concerned. And... If you are running non-sine waves through an amplifier, they're a lot more efficient. Uh, I mentioned this in connection with SDR because, of course, the SDRs run at a very low power, and almost everybody, including me when I am on the air with my SDR equipment, uh, uses uh, linears as well. Uh, for a lot of us, it's just easier to use a, a low-power exciter and something like my Henry uh, 2K Classic X uh, for a linear and get on the air with essentially legal limit if I want it or close to it, and it's just a lot less work than uh, converting an old broadcast rig or something that's uh, equally uh, large and gigantic, equally, equally gigantic and gigantic in power consumption and all these other things. So that's, the, that, that's uh, as much as I can uh, give you right now, George, I think. Okay, thanks a lot, Pete. Um, that's great background. I'd, I'd like to discuss this whole thing at length uh, with you at some point. Um, Rick, you had a quick one. We want to move along um, pretty quickly, but go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say the efficiency argument uh, for using linears with uh, AM is that uh, normally without the linear, you're running a power amplifier that's running Class C mode, 
uh, whereas your linears are running AB, and they're and they're inherently less efficient. Yeah, I think that was the upshot of a lot of discussion, as well as uh, Clint's been giving some good messages uh, in the text area. Thanks a lot for that, Clint. Um, we'll have to get you a microphone sometime, and, and you can join the discussion live. Good stuff. Okay, let's. Uh, we're running short on time. Um, I'm just going to mention quickly. We can discuss later on offline or after the show. Uh, we have um, an announcement that's going to be made um, maybe tonight, probably tomorrow, on a new mode availability for the SDR Cube transceiver, and that mode is da -da -da -da, AM. So um, a number of us have really wanted AM capability in our SDR rig, and uh, an embedded solution such as we have here in the, in the Cube, and uh, there aren't too many embedded solutions around, but... Um, it becomes difficult to do it in the conventional ways, mainly because with the soft rock and the uh, direct modulation, uh, we don't have availability to we don't have the ability to modulate the RF carrier in the in the cube, and it's ex essentially generated uh, external to the to the software um, in the SDR. So what we did. Uh, and this is uh, Yuha's uh, brainchild. Yuha is my design partner with uh, the SDR Cube. Yuha OH2NLT um, came up with a way to essentially uh, generate a um, an audio signal using uh, um, with a CW tone, and then we amplitude modulate that with the baseline the baseband audio voice uh, signal, and then uh, the carrier then is uh, the AM carrier is offset. Um, the AM carrier offset is added, um, and then it's fed to the uh, SSB modulator, and um, the carrier essentially appears then at the dial frequency. You can read some of the, the documentation we've got online now, and we'll talk more about it uh, soon, uh, especially in the SDR cube uh, list. Um, but this is a, a nice way, an easier way to achieve um, an AM transmission than... Um, uh, in software defined rate. In fact, I don't even know how they do it in the other ones, uh, the other SDR types of solutions. I, I guess we should look it up. Kind of an offshoot, another side benefit of the implementation that we've done in the cube is that for reception, it's uh, we depend on SSB reception. Um, and we can then listen, you know, ostensibly if you're in AM communication with somebody, they're transmitting AM to you, which is upper sideband and lower sideband. Since we're using a um, SSB reception, we can listen to either the upper or the lower sideband, and we can select it by selecting either the AM upper or the AM lower um, modes that we have built into the uh, into the rig. You can see that in the photograph with the AM underneath the digit um, underneath the kilohertz digit seven uh, thirty seven twenty under that zero. You see AM with a, a down arrow. That means we're listening on the lower to the lower sideband of that AM transmission that's coming in. And uh, that gives us the ability to flip back and forth depending on whether there is noise uh, that we wish to avoid, um, a nearby signal, for example. So it's a really, it, it's kind of a clever way to uh, achieve uh, a little bit more control over the received signal coming in. And it's a way for um, um, a low power embedded SDR, such as the Cube, um, there's not a lot of processing bandwidth. There's not a lot of uh, memory and, and such. There's a, it's a good way to be generating uh, the AM transmission. For all intents and purposes, on the receive side of our transmission, it looks like an AM signal that is uh, 
to the receiver. It's, it's coming in. The carrier is right on the exact frequency that you would expect it to be. So we're kind of excited. We're really excited about that. Actually, version 3.0 is being uh, going to be posted later on tonight. I'll be making an announcement about it. And all SDR Cube owners can just download the new software, and they'll have this brand new mode capability uh, built into the uh, into the cube. Okay, let's uh, let's slide down just a little bit. There's some pretty cool waveforms there. We're taking on our lab equipment that shows the AM uh, transmission waveforms. Much as we've been talking here, we show over modulation, under modulation, and some of the effects of what uh, those what, what can happen if you have those conditions. We already mentioned uh, where the AM where where the where in the world is AM uh, used. Well, there's some frequencies here in the AM uh, in the section where is AM used in the bands. And then lastly, um, if you're all interested in more about AM operators, you know, Google is your friend. But there's a, a website called AM Phone that is kind of an accumulation of three different websites that, that came together. And they really have great resources as far as AM operation, AM equipment. And you'll find some good operators such as Pete here um, that can give us some additional information. Pete, I'd like to get... Uh, get some time with you uh, later on and maybe we can put together some additional resources here for AM mode, uh, uh, the whiteboard. And there's some references we've got there at the bottom of this section and uh, you can check those out. And uh, anyways, any final questions before we transition real quickly over to uh, the uh, Arduino clock? We want to kind of wrap up the AM session here and, uh, and move along, but I wanted to open it up for any questions uh, before we do that. Okay, nothing heard. Let's do that then. Let's, uh, over the next uh, 10, 15 minutes or so, let's, uh, let's get into the Chat with the Designer project, our group project, which is the Precision Arduino Clock. And uh, we are now up to version 2, um, uh, phase 2, which is I call version uh, 2. Dot, uh, um, actually, it's 2A. I'm using revisions of uh, 2A, 2B, 2C. We're up to 2B. We're in phase two and the beef, the beef uh, in, uh, increment of it. And I think uh, when I get to talk to Rick a little bit, we're going to have the, uh, we're going to find some additional techniques that we can put into our, into our sketch in order to have this come along. But um, as a brief starter, and then I'll turn it over to Joe to have him explain what we've got most recently. Um, the Arduino clock is a group project. If you haven't been paying attention to it, um, this is moving right along. This is our third session talking about it. It uses the Arduino processor plus a, uh, a prototype shield. That's uh, a, a small hardware board that plugs into the Arduino containing special circuits that allow it to do extra stuff. The extra stuff that we're doing this time uh, with this project is uh, making a clock. So we have some type of a display device. It's an LCD for now. And the thing that makes this clock different for us hams is that we have the ability by the circuits that we were designing into this thing, to synchronize the clock uh, pretty darn close to the second uh, um, the second ticks of of uh, the atomic clock in WWV, CHU, the internet via the NTP types of uh, uh, services, and using one of those techniques, using one of those synchronization methods, we'll, we are able to synchronize our clock such that it always is is pretty darn close to NIST time, and it's actually for uh, um, for purposes of, of not just knowing exactly what time it is pretty pretty well, 
but also being able to use it with our with the companion transmitters to synchronize digital communications, whether that is um, um, slow speed type of uh, uh, code or uh, low power code such as JT65A or whisper transmissions. And there are some other things coming along too. Synchronization with schedules for when to send and receive your signals in moon bounce, that's EME communications, um, is essential. And this can have a this, this can do the job for you too when we're done with it. It's our intention to continue evolving this um, until we ultimately um, get the design to a stable point. Then we're going to make a, a circuit board, a printed circuit board, and probably a kit of parts to go onto it, such that you can take it and plug it on, plug this shield, uh, the precision Arduino clock shield, onto uh, a, um, an Uno, uh, which is an Arduino board, or correspondingly plug a Nano into the shield and um, it can accommodate uh, uh, either one of those two form factors of the Arduino. So that's that's the, the goal. We have the, the details laid out as far as like the evolution that we expect. And this portion of the website here of the whiteboard has the, uh, the different current states of the hardware, the software, and some of the, uh, the logic and flow diagrams and such. We'll soon have a dedicated web page with the parts list and the source for all the different parts, such that those joining, uh, kind of hopping on the bandwagon now can easily get uh, their hands on these parts. It's inexpensive. By the at the end of the day, after the thirty dollar Uno, it might just cost another ten dollars, ten or fifteen dollars, to get the parts to make this clock. And if you can wire it up like we have in the breadboard uh, prototype, you can get started well before that point and you kind of have some fun and learning along the way too. So, Joe, you want to kind of explain where we are with uh, revision 2B of the hardware and revision uh, phase phase 2B of the of the software? Absolutely. By the way, look at the uh, um, look at the uh, chat window. George uh, Terry pointed out that uh, several of the links on the uh, chat with the designers page are broken, and I verified it, and looks like uh, might be excellent and has verified it as well. Okay, what we did, um, the original version of the uh, of the clock um, had the ability to uh, reset to um, use the Arduino to uh, keep time and uh, to reset it with an external um, signal. We used a tone decoder so that uh, one could reset the clock to uh, the, the minute turnover tick on WWV or CHU. Going along with the evolution now. Uh, to get a more more stable clock, something that would be accurate over a longer period of time, we integrated a um, real-time clock chip, the DS1307 chip, in with the uh, in with the Arduino. Now the uh, the actual uh, generation of the time, the updating of time, and everything else is done by the DS1307. The um, wow. the Arduino acts as a uh, manager for that chip. It feeds it the initial time. Um, uh, derived from a computer, you have a flow chart of uh, actually how the thing works. Not going to go into re real detail, but the point is, um, when you power up the uh, the computer, supplies uh, real time to the uh, when you're hooked up to a computer, supplies real time to the uh, real time clock through the Arduino, and then the Arduino sits there and uh, uh, keeps time very accurately using a, a, a watch, a clock chip, uh, or a uh, 
clock oscillator, 32768 kilohertz uh, oscillator. Then it feeds the signal back to the Arduino for display. So this is an incremental uh, improvement in performance of the uh, of the clock, uh, so that we have the real-time clock keeping a, a very good uh, clock uh, under control of the Arduino. Um, and you you know you can see what happens in the uh, um, in the flowchart and uh, when uh, we have the links fixed here, you can also see that in the code. And uh, that's working. That uh, that has been uh, implemented, and uh, it's keeping time and uh, uh, reading, feeding the uh, stuff to the uh, real-time clock chip and uh, uh, feeding it back to the Arduino. Uh, George, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was last in tune with it, I think there was uh, some still some unresolved error with um, setting the real-time clock. From the computer time is that uh, as a, have you fixed that in the latest release? No, I haven't, and it occasionally comes up correct. So let me explain um, uh, the way it's supposed to work and the way that it does, like almost all the time. We'll go through the flowchart. So if you have the little flowchart up, and I'm looking at it, uh, there's supposed to be little Y and Ns. I forgot to put those on for the yes and no exits out of the uh, out of the uh, the question blocks the, the the diamonds so you power up the rig up at the top of the chart you power up the you power up the clock and the first thing it does the software does in the initialization section um, I think it's called the setup section it uh, checks to see if the RTC is running if it's already running and there's a way to do this uh, that, that it does it with the libraries that if it's already running then it just goes straight down through into the do forever loop however if you've started up if you just plugged it in, and you haven't yet plugged in your uh, your battery, um, it, the, the RTC is not running. And what it does is it immediately sets the the real time uh, the the time and date into uh, the RTC chip, and that happens to be the real time um, that was that occurred at the time that you compiled the program there in your Arduino editor, which is like moments actually just moments before it actually was sent over to the Arduino board. So ostensibly, within a second or two, you should be accurate if your PC time is correct. And there's where the little discrepancy that Joe referred to, for some reason in my system and his system, most often it comes up to be about four minutes behind what real time is. My clock on the computer is okay. It's coordinated with, with NIST and all of that. So I just don't know. I've got to find out what's wrong with a, what's happening. Um, it occasionally has come up right, so I don't know uh, there might be some contention in the uh, in, inside the computer. So let's continue onward. Now we get after we power up and we see that the RTC is running, or if it wasn't, we set it to the compiled time and start the clock. Then we go into a do forever loop. This this goes around and around and around and around and around forever, and that's the whole idea is to display the time. What we do is we read the RC we read the RTC chip, the date and time registers, and we display the date and time. And maybe even do it twice per the flowchart. I forgot what uh, I was going to put something else in there, but uh, but I forgot. Now um, the um, uh, Mike said it's uh, there is the program recompiled each time that you run it if no changes are made. That is a really good thought. The time taken for the compilation is uh, the same, so I'm suspecting it's not the case. But anyways, good thought, Mike. Um, so now, you know, this do forever loop, what we do is we get the, uh, the date and time from the chip and we output it to the display. And then, um, 
Inherent in the operation of the RTC chip, as Joe mentioned, there's an output, a one pulse per second, uh, one PPS output that goes back into the Arduino. The Arduino is able to read that, and that's the what we do to synchronize the software to that is that we sit there and at the next step and wait for that one PPS signal to be done, to go to a certain uh, inactive state. If it's not done, we just loop and loop and loop and loop in a tight loop, waiting for the one PPS signal to be done. As soon as it's done, we drop out of it, we drop down to uh, down lower. Now, right now, the yellow blocks are not in there. That's like the next step. You know how I'm using two different colors to indicate what we have and what we're going to be doing. The yellow is not yet in there. So when you see the code, when we drop out of the one PPS, we just go back up to the loop, you know, the do forever. So all we do in, the, in our loop right now is the blue code, the blue blocks, which is essentially um, we read the RTC chip, display the registers, wait for the one PPS to be done, and go back and do it again and again and again and again. And um, simplicity is, is really quite amazing there, especially compared to what we had in phase zero. I had this discussion on the uh, list with Rick, and we were discussing, you know, like, uh, you know, why do we do that and so on. And the, it's a good list discussion. We won't have the time to go through it now, but... It's this uh, RTC one pulse per second signal that, that allows us to synchronize the software to the hardware, which we are dependent on its accuracy. Now, the next step is to figure out a way to synchronize the one second uh, increments um, to the RTC to the um, to WWV. So you might recall the way that we did it last time was that we would. Uh, Sit and wait for the top of the minute. You know, remember our discussion about the beep, CHU, Canada, D-reader, 17 minutes, and so on. Um, and uh, and when we get that boop, that 1,000 hertz tone come from coming from the rookie and into the external sync input in the schematic, if you looked at that, that's what that sync PB, um, I'm sorry, that's what the, uh, um, the, um, the, the nomenclature is off a little bit. What we sit and do is what we do is sit and wait in a loop, looking for that external sync uh, to come in. So continuing down after we're after the one PPS signal is done, is to be de been detected is done. Now we have ostensibly about 500 milliseconds to go twiddle our thumbs and do whatever we want until the next one second pulse comes along. So in that time, the yellow stuff starts operating. And we look to see if um, there's a push button that we have indicated on the schematic. If that thing is pressed, then we go off and we uh, I call that thing the sync push button. So we're commanding our clock to go in to, to be synchronized. Now what happens when that happens is that we, as it says here, we increment the minutes. So we go to the next minute immediately and we reset seconds to zero and we stop the clock. So let's just say that we're at five minutes and 30 seconds. Okay, now we hit the press uh, the, the sync push button. What that does, as I said, it, it puts it up to this, it puts the minutes to six and it puts the seconds to zero and it stops the clock. And then we sit there and we wait for that external sync. It should, it should say external sync instead of sync PB. We're waiting in a loop there, a very tight loop, waiting for the external sync to become active. Now that's coming from the rookie. Remember when the rookie detects the 1000 hertz tone, it sends a signal into the uh, into our circuits via the external sync input. And that'll be detected by the software in that little triangular block that says sync PB active. It said, should say external sync PB active. And as soon as it sees it go active, immediately then, boom, it resumes the clock. It starts the clock going again. So right, the, the next time that you do hear that tone, it would be six minutes, zero seconds. 
coordinated universal time. And then that's when we resume the clock because our clock was set to six minutes and zero seconds. And then we go back up into the do forever blue, come around, reread the RTC chip again, and display the time and go through the same thing. Now there's a little bit, you know, we have to look for the, the button uh, being pushed, the button being released. We have a little bit of debounce in there too. So there's some there's some standard stuff that we implement when we go to put in that yellow uh, the yellow functions. But that's the basic operation of the clock and its most uh, in its in its basic full function capability. We'll later add some other menu items in there for setting the time manually, so we don't have to be connected to a computer at all ever. Like we don't need no stinking computer kind of thing. So um, and uh, and that's the that's additional function that'll go into the yellow area. Um, Alan asks, do we use an interrupt for the uh, uh, the push button? We do not yet. But if I can figure out a way to do the interrupt, maybe that'll be a, a better way to, to be handling that. So that's the operation of the clock, of what we have today in the blue, and what we anticipate having very shortly in the yellow. And as I said, this stuff, I said on the list, this stuff is really addictive. I spend a lot more time doing it than I than I should have, all things considered. But it's it's fun. I just really enjoy it, and I, I, I think that you guys would too. When you have a shell of a program to start with, a very straightforward process for making a change, Sending it, sending it out the USB port to the Arduino, seeing the result. Make a change, send it, and see the result. It, it's just uh, iterative, and you get to a nice functional level pretty darn quick. And it's all pretty, uh, pretty obvious when you get the, the the hang of it. So, Joe, did I uh, did I miss anything? And then maybe uh, open it up to some questions. No, uh, George, I think I think you covered everything. Um, please, are there um, any questions on this? Um, or is everybody really up to speed on it? We have some time. Yeah, Dave, go ahead. Yeah, hi, guys. First time on uh, voice here. I had a question on the uh, the clock chip. I know that uh, others had asked in previous weeks. I, I had listened to, uh, mentioned to you, George. I got able to play on my iPhone the uh, sessions. Someone mentioned about the clock chip. And I, I was researching clock chip, and, and there's one place that sells it, and they have another chip also. They mentioned that uh, the other chip is, you know, more accurate. I think it had temperature compensation. Um, and uh, it was interesting. It, also, it says it's pin-for-pin pin compatible with the one we're using, which makes me think you could uh, just yank one out and plug the other one in and see if there's any difference. Um, have, you, have you heard of that at all? Yeah, I have. Um, I forgot the number. It's uh, I forgot the number, but nonetheless, it may be pin for pin compatible. But I'll bet that there are library differences. But maybe our library, the RTC lib dot uh, h um, file, is able to uh, to accommodate both. Um, I put a post in the other day, maybe yesterday, on about this topic. And while there may be a more accurate or stable, you know, time stable um, clock chip, RTC chip. Um, this one, we just if we if we were to stay with this one, which one ostensibly could do, um, I think it'll suffice. And it all depends on how often that you would be synchronizing your clock. So I kind of envision this as hanging on my wall in front of my station. And uh, we were talking earlier the other yesterday about uh, having big LED, big red LEDs, and this thing kind of pulsing away, and it's just really cool. And then having a wire come down. Um, an audio cable, at least, that would uh, go over to my radio that uh, such that every day when I kind of come into the station and power things up, or maybe every other day, or maybe once a week, I don't know how necessary it will be to synchronize the clock, 
But whenever it's necessary, it's easy just to flip over to WWV, uh, press the sync button on the uh, on the clock, and then wait for at most 59 seconds for the clock to get to the accuracy point that uh, that we intended to have. So I think I, I saw some documentation that says that this RTC, this 1307 DS1307, would be accurate uh, would uh, be accurate to the second for maybe a week. Uh, before things, you know, it's clock drifted, assuming that you have a stable temperature in the shack or, or whatever. You probably would not want to hang it in a place that is right next to the uh, heater vent or sitting over your your uh, Invader 2000 if you're using it a lot, uh, Pete, um, generating a lot of heat. But nonetheless, it uh, under normal stable temperature conditions, it might be stable, you know, it might keep time accurately to a second over a week where you would have to do the, the sync process. Or maybe it's a day. I, I don't know. I'd have to run the numbers, actually, based on, on, on the specs. But um, I think that capability, the synchronization capability that we built into this design, is enough to take care of any of the inherent uh, uh, drifting that a chip would normally do. And uh, could it be better if you use a, a, a better chip, a pin compatible or not, but an oven control type of thing? Probably, yeah. But the idea is simple enough. The idea is to... How do they say in Joe? Joe, how do they say this? Uh, good enough for government work or good enough for engineering? And it's, it's what was your term for this, Joe? Good enough for engineering use? I usually say good enough design. A good enough design. That's that's it. So this was intended to be a good enough design without going to extor- exorbitant uh, steps or parts cost or complexity and a crystal controlled oven and a microcontroller to separately control the temperature and so on and so forth. Um, is it going to be accurate enough to let you measure on frequency night, the ARRL frequency measurement uh, contest? Probably not. But is it going to be good enough to be doing the digital modes? Um, I'm sure hoping so, because that's how I intend to do it. Good enough is best. That's what uh, Pete just said in the text area. Anyway, uh, by the way, Dave, great to hear you. Nice to hear you with us, Mr. Edwards. It's nice to put a voice with a name. And if you haven't yet received your LCD that you ordered from me, you'll soon have it. It was mailed, uh, Yesterday, I think. Okay, other... Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. in hotel. I was saying, <clears throat> I'm in hotel room now, so if it showed up any times uh, lately, I'm, I'm not there to get it. Uh, uh, oh, and one other thing I wanted to tell you, uh, drop to George, about two, uh, two sessions ago or so, someone checked in and was asking about a uh, new uh, updated <clears throat> uh, application that updates your computer clock. Um, and he asked online here if uh, anyone knew of one, but and I was surprised that no one chimed in. It seems all of the uh, all the folks on the uh, <clears throat> digital software for media scatter type work they're using uh, DIM4, and it, and it does work on uh, the newer uh, you know eight or seven or uh, you know newer than XP uh, Dimension Four, uh, and it works great. Go ahead. Okay, that's good. That's good. In a quick search on um, um, current time, if you put current time into Google, I think you would come up with a couple of programs that you could download, quote unquote, for free. In uh, the ones that we mentioned here, we've got a, a growing resource list. And as I said, um, I, next, I need to really consolidate information to have one page that refers to all of the latest and greatest uh, um, for this particular project. And uh, we'll put a, kind of an authoritative uh, cumulative set of 
of links that we can recommend to people for that purpose. That is one of the capabilities, although I don't like I don't like connecting a project to the computer. Um, for synchronization, occasional synchronization purposes, it might work out well to have that cable that leads up the wall to the clock be a USB cable, because that's the communication method. Um, actually, it's an RS. Well, it can be a USB cable. And, um, you know, for synchronizing via the Internet. But I'd like to be able to synchronize even if I don't have a connection to the Internet, or at least provide the capability on this board for that. So um, that NTP types of programs and, and um, automatically automatically correcting time on your PC is indeed a valuable thing to have. Lee, uh, KM4YY mentioned uh, working to get parts to catch up with us. And uh, like I, I, I mentioned, uh, when we get uh, our consolidated page together real shortly, I'll have a parts list. Joe and I are working up a parts list um, for sources of these different look, uh, parts, in, including the UNO. Um, the LCD, the rookie card, uh, we have, we later on alluded to, we won't talk to it now. Maybe next time we'll talk to a separate modem chip, a little dip chip that, uh, serves as a Bell 103. I think it's 103 or Bell 303 compatible modem, um, that decodes the digital info, well, the, uh, the, the information, the modulated information that comes from WWV to actually get, um, date and time in uh, in more deterministic modes. So we're intending that's phase four, I think. We have that indicated in our evolution path. Rick, you want to describe, um, I was intrigued by your message I saw just before showtime here tonight, that um, you were able to find a site, I think I saw that site too, I forgot the gentleman's name, that has a bunch of libraries that are essentially talking over the, the wire uh, library. WIRE library, which is I squared C communications or TWI two wire interface. And uh, I would be interested in if you could send me your program after the fact, and maybe I'll put it up here for alternate use for, for guys, because I had a resort to using two wire communications in order to, uh, to turn on the square wave output of the chip. It was, I could not figure out what the API interface, what the, what routine that I would call in the RTC lib to turn on the uh, the square wave output capability of the RTC chip, so I just uh, I knew I knew what I had to do from an I squared C programming standpoint because that information is in the spec sheet for the RTC chip, but I didn't have the API, so I went to the I squared C library called Wire, and I was able to send maybe five discrete uh, instructions, uh, put down five discrete instructions that would do that, and it worked fine. And I suspect that's kind of like what you uh, um, what you were talking about. Um, Rick, you want to comment? Uh, yeah, uh, two things. The first thing I should say is this whole business about working with the, the, the clock has just made a big difference to me in my understanding of the Arduino. Uh, and I appreciate all that you guys have uh, done. So I keep uh, firing bullets in your direction. Uh, what I uh, ended up with, was the fact that I had a DS1302 in my junk box, and I'm waiting for the 1307 to arrive from mainland China. So I went out and started looking at uh, the software that was available, uh, which is relatively uh, sparse because the 1302 apparently isn't a very popular chip. And part of the reason is that it isn't uh, I squared C or uh, a two-wire or a one-wire. It's a three-wire interface. Uh, so the fellow who took on the idea of 
um, using it as a, as a real-time clock, went back and didn't use any libraries at all, but wrote right from the, the get-go all the way down to the low-level bit programming that you've got to do to load data and transfer it back and forth. And it turns out that the, uh, the 1302 doesn't put out this one pulse per second pulse. It puts out date and time. So I'll just have to read it off there and, and display it, essentially kind of bypassing the uh, Arduino for anything important other than loading it up and then transferring the data back and forth. But it's been an enormous learning experience uh, and one that I, I value. Can't tell you how pleased I am to hear you say that because you're you're often our most uh, our most persistent uh, person asking questions here, which we deeply appreciate. When but if we uh, if we can get things if we can get you and others behind you kind of rocking and rolling, that's that's a major goal of this particular program is to be exposing us all to different kinds of technology that we have in our ham shacks on the bench, home brewing parts and so on, so that we can make things happen. Which is why Joe and I really enjoy the Arduino from a standpoint of a building block. And there's so much that can be done with the Arduino. There's a lot of discussion as far as the Arduino being not enough power to do anything of significance. Terry, you could probably comment on that if you're still online. Um, there are other groups that are saying that. But it's my impression, our impression, that uh, that for dedicated, uh, low-cost, specific little projects that indeed have significance, um, it's, it's, it's certainly powerful enough uh, and as I said, it's a great learning experience. Terry? Yeah, I've um, I've been playing with the Arduino for just a little while, um, and I have I'm the one that I'm one of the ones that's saying it's uh, um, the Arduinos are, are you have more limitations, but you know it's it's sometimes it's or quite often it's good enough, and this is this project is a, a perfect example of of it being good enough. Um, I've run into problems already with, with the Arduino, both with the speed of the uh, CPU and with the amount of memory it has, both program memory and, more important, data memory, um, using the Uno in particular. The, oh, and, and hardware pins, not enough uh, I.O. pins. Um, if you use the Mega, you get more memory, a little more memory, and you get more hardware pins, and then the Dua, the new Do or Dua or whatever it is, D-U-E, provides you an 80 megahertz CPU instead, but if I remember correctly, you give up the on-chip EEPROM. Uh, for doing a lot of projects, it's really, the UNO is really good, and it's a very, very fast uh, development environment. I've been very, very impressed with it. Um, I can do, you can do an awful lot with it. It's just you're not going to do an awful lot of different things at the same time. So what you end up with is you end up with two or three or four UNOs, or other processors where something that's a little bigger might be able to do the job. So that's just been my experience. Um, it's funny, the uh, ARRL just put out a book on the Arduino, and I was looking at it and over the weekend, and I found that he, the, guy, the author, uh, Lee Klotz, has run into a bunch of the same things that I have run into. For example, um, just simple things like uh, storing strings. Strings are stored in program memory, but they're copied over to RAM, and they they use RAM up um, when when they're running. So you if you have a lot of strings that you put in for debugging, you quickly your program can crash, and you can you don't know why. Well, it turns out you're using too much RAM. So there's a trick of keeping the strings in program memory, and that helps solve the problem. Kind of in a nutshell, that's that's where I am, George. I love the Arduino. Don't get me wrong; it's a great great thing. 
And I would encourage everybody to play with the Arduino, and in particular the I2C or the I2C. That is a wonderful um, thing for hooking SI570s, temperature devices, um, the real-time clock chips, all that stuff. So it's it's really a neat interface. And I've been doing stuff with Ethernet modules and Wi-Fi modules and all kinds of junk. So um, don't get me wrong; it's it's not that it's too simple. It's just that you reach a point in sophistication of a project where you can't get there from here. Oh, I hear you. And um, actually, I was surprised. I didn't know that you were the one who, in that other group, that was was, was kind of like uh, um, cautioning about the limitations of the Arduino. Uh, because I do know that you have been playing a lot with them, but that's that's where familiarity comes. Uh, knowledge, or how, how we say it, uh, familiarity breeds knowledge, at least. Um, but uh, I I think a big I think a big thing with the Arduino is, and this is probably the tech of uh, uh, the ARRL too. The, the thing with the Arduino is that it's just a phenomenally good learning platform, such that. You know, they get they get the people to come on. Uh, now I've been a hardware and software designer for years and years and years, and and same with Joe. And but there are some some guys here on this list too that you know have not been that. And if they've been finally able to tackle, like I don't know Rick's background, but Rick, you know, Rick is sounds pretty pretty happy that he's been able to tackle some of the initial steps here to get things working and doing some things on his own too. And I very much applaud that. If not for the Arduino, I mean, I could not. I could not imagine um, trying to tackle a Raspberry Pi in the same fashion. I could not imagine trying to cap, um, uh, tackle a, what's it called, the M-Box or the M-something or other. Um, it's another small board or a Beagle board. Uh, some of the other things that we've heard these days, that you know, small small form factor, low-cost ARM-based processors that are just, in the, you know, the cat's meow kind of thing. That may be the case. You know, it can run like uh, circles around from speed and memory size and I/O pins um, around the Arduino. But um, well, I'll tell you that if you can boot yourself up on the Arduino, if you're new to programming, maybe this is the way to start. And then you can then gradually get more into a more performance-oriented type of processor when the demand, you know, when the situation demands it. So I think uh, I think from that perspective, the learning type of activity, the educational aspects, getting kids into um, maker sessions that are able to um, put together small projects, like you said, that you know connect the temperature sensor, I squared C temperature consent, uh, temperature sensors, um, humidity sensors, motion control, stepper motors, and have it do something is 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 a big uh, is a big thing. Plus, you know even even from the I/O perspective, there are device there are one chip solutions for I/O expansion using I squared C. So um, um, I gotta believe that at some point there's going to be some of the program size, program, uh, the program memory size, and data memory size limitations will be uh, expanded in future versions. Uh, I think they're pretty well in tune with the with the uh, ubiquity that the Arduino is seeing across the uh, across the market at the low end. But uh, appreciate your input a lot, and this is this is really good stuff. Uh, hey George. Yeah, Terry, go ahead. Terry, go ahead. Yeah, just to summarize, uh, once again, I love the Arduino, and I think it's great. There are four things that, in my mind, just in a nutshell, that, that really promote the Arduino. The cost of the board is cheap. The IDE to design software, the integrated development environment, is one of the best I've ever seen. It's intuitive. It's easy to install. 
there is a lot of, there is a ton of hardware out there in shields and different devices you can connect to it and there's also a ton of support libraries for that hardware just about anybody who makes a hardware a shield or or something like that makes a library for it so in a nutshell those are the four things that i think are why the arduino is a huge winner indeed um other uh, other comments along this whole train of thought about the clock about the arduino Joe, I'm going to call upon you in just a moment to give us your, oh, it's getting late, it, uh, to give us a quick impression of the IDE. You've been struggling a little bit with it, but I want to see if you've been able to conquer that and uh, give us your impressions of it overall. But uh, first, any other questions or comments? Hey, George. Yes, sir. Well, go ahead. Hey, uh, this is just a real quick question. Uh, I remember a couple months ago, maybe even a year ago, I heard you talking about FreeSock. Uh, have you guys done any work with that yet? I'm sorry, I missed that. And uh, FreeSock? Yeah, FreeSock. Uh, I just got the board. It was a Kickstarter board. Uh, I could have swore you guys talked. Uh, heard you guys talking about that. Maybe we have. I'm forgetting more than I remembered before these days. Um, and uh, has anybody heard about this? Did we talk about it before? Guess not, Al. Tell us about it real quickly, please. Well, uh, uh, I ordered the board like back in October when the Kickstarter first started. I don't have it bookmarked right now, but basically it looks like you can uh, design uh, uh, basically uh, electronic circuits uh, using the, uh, the chip, uh, if that makes any sense. Um, it, it doesn't to me, but again, that's just me. I've got some things going here. I'm wondering if Charles, uh, Charles posted something on a Kickstarter project. Was that what we're talking about here, Charles? Oh yeah, George, I just wanted to throw in just another wonderful itsy bitsy, uh, low cost, uh, Arduino, uh, platform that you can see there. It's, uh, I think this guy that's doing it is they're going to wind up being like about five bucks or so for what you see in the photograph it's just uh, so inexpensive and so uh, small even on the Arduino scale of things uh, you know being under ten dollars uh, you can leave it in your project and just pick up another one and do the next project oh okay gotcha and Al um, I'm, I brought up your link and I see the free sock and I, that, I've not seen that before but I will look at it with uh, um, great interest. Maybe we can talk about all these different kinds of boards next time if that's of interest. Please feedback on the uh, the list. We're going to wrap it up now, but please feedback on the list. Um, you know your your opinion about tonight's session, of course, but also if and how you'd like to be continuing along on this thread. I'm fascinated by the different kind of um, embedded solutions that we have at our disposal, and for me, um, the freer the better. The um, the easier to program, the better. Uh, the more pins and and other people's been using this project, uh, the project board, the better. So that's what attracts me to the uh, the Arduino, for example. And um, if you found something that may, is of interest to you, feed it along to us, and that's that's good. Um, okay, um, Dave asked about uh, how about driving Nixies. There's a whole Nixies group. We could probably talk about that one day with a lot of fun, I think. Um, it would work. You'd have to have, to have the right kind of voltage translation in order for having an Arduino drive a higher voltage type of I.O. device uh, or display device like a Nixie. Um, they do make some low voltage ones too, but still having the right interface is everything. 
A man's got to know his limitations, or at least a derivative of that. Joe, do you want to kind of maybe just comment quickly on the IDE and uh, and then then take us home? Alrighty, I will do. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I did have a few issues with the IDE. I'm running the IDE both on a uh, a Windows machine and on my Linux machine. What's an IDE? And IDE is an integrated uh, development environment. It's the software you use to um, to edit a program, to enter a program into the Arduino, to compile it, and uh, then to uh, uh, translate it over, to send it over to the uh, to the Arduino chip itself. It's uh, it's the console on your computer that lets you uh, put the software in and work with it. At any rate, I had different versions on the two machines, and I was getting very confused about what was where. And I finally brought both up to the the latest. And I forget what the latest revision is, but you can find it, find it from the uh, Arduino Playground. I finally brought them up to the latest versions. Found uh, a couple different wrinkles between Windows and uh, Linux, um, but I've I've resolved them, and uh, <laughs> it's working pretty well now. Uh, George is working in the Windows environment. I'm working primarily in Linux, so we were kind of talking past each other. Point is, keep up with uh, the latest version of it because um, the editor keeps improving all the time. And uh, the interface, uh, making it handy to work with the Arduino, uh, keeps getting improved. They keep polishing it so that it works quite well. All right, uh, quickie on, uh, on what we talked about tonight. We had two, two diametrically opposite uh, topics. To begin the session, we uh, talked about um, ancient modulation, admirable modulation, whatever you want to call it, uh, AM. Uh, as opposed, as applied primarily to ham radio, and the fact that there are a number of uh, devotees of the uh, of the mode, though it's uh, one of the oldest modes, a lot of fun things you can do with it, uh, both with boat anchors and with uh, some more modern equipment. And uh, like CW, though it's one of the oldest modes, it's still uh, very much in vogue. We um, showed ways of generating it, what the uh, what the waveforms look like, what the spectra look like for uh, for AM and uh, talked about some of the advantages uh, of different types of AM, uh, full carrier versus, uh, uh, and both sidebands versus uh, a compatible mode, which is a full carrier and uh, and uh, one sideband. Uh, then we uh, segued into the latest uh, incarnation of the software for the uh, Precision Arduino clock that has the uh, um, real-time clock chip in there and uh, talked about the operation of the real-time clock chip <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> okay, uh, addition of the real-time clock chip to the Arduino precision clock and how we're relying on that chip to uh, keep track of time. And the Arduino itself will be the uh, the master and control uh, and the display. And um, if you have something to say, let me know. Otherwise, please uh, please watch your Vox there. <laughs> Some people are chuckling in the background. At any rate, um, two sessions, two different sections, and uh, we ended up with some discussion, uh, philosophical discussion of Arduino, uh, the applications, what it's good for, and it's possible some some of its possible limitations. And I think we're going to follow up in a future um, oh, future session with uh, some discussion of the various Arduino chips and uh, the benefits and uh, downsides of uh, using them. And that's about it for now. Seven three. <laughs> okay. 
I never heard anybody have such uh, pleasure in chuckling at your uh, presentation there, Joe. This is this is great. I have to figure out what they were hearing then, and uh, laugh. I was laughing along with them. All righty. Thank you, everybody, for attending. Remember to feedback to us on the um, on the list. We're going to keep our list pretty active, uh, as I indicated last time, um, and and we've been holding true to that. We're going to keep a, a lot of dialogue going on our list, whether it's uh, talk about the clock. Talk about your favorite homebrew project, a new technology that's come out. I'm going to be feeding some information uh, to the list uh, regularly, or continue doing it. And actually, I'm going to I'm going to be uh, trying to uh, figure out what Nixie tubes and Nixie des designs for the clocks that you guys were using. I saw a cool one that was brought to one of our local NJQRP meetings, and um, I'm going to try to find out where that one is. And wouldn't it be cool to have a have your uh, your Precision Arduino Nixie clock? P-A-N-C, a P-A-N-C type of project. That'd be kind of cool. Anyways, until next time, which is two weeks from tonight, please have a happy Easter. Have a safe uh, safe holiday if you're taking off uh, Easter, Easter break this week or next week with the family. And uh, please, by all means, grab onto the, the correct end of the soldering iron on your bench, but keep those fumes going. And uh, join in with the project. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, uh, what you can uh, what you can pick up along the way, and certainly what you'll have at the end as far as your Arduino clock. 73 all from uh, George N2APB and Joe N2CX and chat with the designers. Good night.